The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV shops or reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who wants those mother-freaking snakes off his mother-freaking plane, because with me is a guy who I just cannot believe has put up with me for 200 episodes of this show, because with me is the Quatsit to my Sherlock, because with me is a guy who is into all the cosplay that goes on on the Comic-Con floor, and of course with me is the guy who stopped a nuclear bomb from going off in New York City with absolutely no idea what he was doing. Can with me is a guy who knows not to fall out of helicopters when wearing a Santa suit. Can with me is a guy who is always ready with a grenade. Can with me is a guy who plays a really mean Max Guitar. My co-host and jukebox hero. Can with me is a guy who has not been replaced by a Zygon. Can with me is a guy who thinks it was about time for heroes to wrap itself up. Can with me is a guy who is shocked to discover that his former master is Darth Vader. Can with me is a guy who has a Fear of Hortopoly, thanks to the Equinox. Get with me, because a guy who just wants to believe. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, we continue the spring 2017 TV season with an episode of Walking Dead, Star Wars Rebels, and Michael and Tim's review of Supernatural, along with a new Netflix, Amazon, and non-traditional networks recommendation in the streaming section by me. But before all that, we're going to kick everything off with a News with Nico section. Liv Tyler joins Kit Harrington in a Guy Fawkes miniseries entitled Gunpowder. The Leftovers isn't even cold yet, but Liv Tyler has already lined up her next small screen gig starring alongside Kit Harrington in the Guy Fawkes-inspired miniseries Gunpowder. Tyler is one of three actors joining the Game of Thrones star in a three-part BBC One drama. Sherlock's Mark Gaddis and Top of the Lake's Peter Mullen have also signed on to appear in supporting roles. As first reported back in October, Gunpowder is set in the year 1605 and chronicles the attempt made by Fox and a group of provincial English Catholics to blow up the House of Lords and kill King James I, all in an effort to help restore a Catholic to the crown. Among them was Robert Catsby, played by Harrington, who was said to be the mastermind behind the operation. The plot was ultimately thwarted by authorities after explosives were spotted near Westminster Palace. Tyler has been cast as Catsby's concerned cousin Anne Vox, while Gaddis will assume the role of of King James spymaster-in-chief Robert Cecil, who was instructed to hunt down and torture those involved in the sinister plan. Mullen plays Jesuit Father Garnet, who despite his unfavorable views of King James I, wants to keep the peace. Production of Gunpowder, which is being written by Ronan Bennett, will commence later this month. A statewide network or streaming service has not yet acquired the drama. Rogue One gets sequel in Star Wars Inferno Squad novel. Kathleen Kennedy of Lucasfilm was adamant in the build-up of the release of Rogue One that there would be no sequel to the film, which at the time befuddled many fans. And then, once everybody saw the actual movie, well, <laughs> we kind of knew why she said that. Nevertheless, there is a sequel to Rogue One on its way, although not in the traditional sense and not on the big screen. Lucasfilm has announced Inferno Squad, a novel from author Christy Golden, which is set 
to hit on July 25th, not following any of the main characters from, from Rogue One, obviously. Instead, the book will be about an elite Imperial squad and their mission following the events of Rogue One, and subsequently A New Hope. Here is the official description of the novel by StarWars.com. The Rebellion may have heroes like Jin Erso and Luke Skywalker, but the Empire has Inferno Squad. After the humiliating theft of the Death Star plans and the resulting destruction of the Battle Station, the Empire is on the defensive. In response to the stunning defeat, the Imperial Navy has authorized the formation of an elite team of soldiers known as Inferno Squad. Their mission, infiltrate and eliminate the remnants of Sagarera's partisans. Following the death of their leader, the partisans have carried on his extremist legacy, determined to thwart the Empire, no matter what the cost. Now Inferno Squad must prove their status as the best of the best and take down the partisans from within. But as the danger intensifies and the threat of discovery grows, how far will Inferno Squad go to ensure the safety of the Empire? For more information, follow the link in the ACC feed or visit our website. Rick and Morty Season 3 Trailer Part of what we love about Rick and Morty is how willing the show is to do just about anything for a laugh. The network and creators know that we'll pretty much watch whatever they decide to send our way, and while we're all still waiting for any real glimpse of Season 3 of Rick and Morty, Adult Swim thought it necessary to prank us in a matter that would make Rick Sanchez of Dimension C-137 proud. And you know what? We kind of love them for it. I don't want to spoil the fun, so follow the link in the ACC feed and watch the trailer for yourself. New Doctor Who teaser focuses on new companion Bill. He says he's a man of peace, but he walks in war. I'm having the time of my life. That's Pearl Mackey as the 12th Doctor's newest companion, Bill, walking side by side with not only our favorite Time Lord, but also Nardal, who seems to be aboard full-time this upcoming season. Peter Cavaldi's hair continues to grow out of control, possibly because he thinks we won't notice, what with Bill having even bigger hair than he does. Speaking of noticing, you may want to pause that mysterious wall of foes that they're approaching. I did, and it looks like the Daleks and Cybermen will be making their obligatory appearances, though the face that dominates at the end is pretty clearly a malevolent Martian ice warrior, as was previously confirmed. Also confirmed, but verified in the newest BBC America press release, are David Suchet as a new character named the Landlord, and Michelle Gomez as Missy, who Nerdist suspects that we can all expect to be the ultimate one responsible for Capaldi's regeneration at the end of the season. Doctor Who kicks off on BBC America on tax day, April 15th, so you'll at least have something to look forward to on that day. Follow the link in the ACC feed over to Nerdist to watch the trailer now. First photo from Star Wars Han Solo film released. In a tweet from the official Star Wars Twitter that read, Han Solo, smuggler, scoundrel, hero. A new Star Wars story begins. And with that, the major cast is all together for the first official photo and Star Wars Han Solo film is officially underway. Check out the link in the ACC feed or in your chapter art right now for a look at the photo of the cast in the Millennium Falcon. Louis C.K. sets two stand-up specials for Netflix. Louis C.K. will be doing two stand-up specials for Netflix. The first titled 2017 and taped in January in Washington, D.C. will premiere on April 4th. The date and title for the second are TBD and CK is the latest in a string of top comics to make deals with the streaming giant, which is making itself into the only place to watch great stand-up comedy. Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are also releasing two and three specials respectively through Netflix and the service has built a sizable library of high-quality exclusive specials from comics including Aziz Ansari, John Mulaney, and Chelsea Peretti. 
already. Netflix also recently poached Jerry Seinfeld's talk show Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee from Crackle, which you should be watching. This will be CK's first time working with Netflix. Previously, he released specials through networks like FX and HBO, as well as directly to consumers through his own website. He also initially released his series Horace and Pete through his website, though it's now available on Hulu. No word yet on whether 2017 will be available on louisck.net a few months after its release on Netflix, a condition of the deal Louis C.K. made with HBO to release his special Oh My God in 2013. 2017 premieres Tuesday, April 4th on Netflix. Rogue One Digital and Blu-ray release date released. It's been a few months now, so you probably have seen it once or twice and let the action and heart of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, wash over you thoroughly. Must be time to watch it at home again, right? Well, you're in luck because we now know when the digital HD and Blu-ray releases will be available, as well as the huge swath of extras and featurettes that'll take you even deeper into the plight of the hapless band of freedom fighters in the first standalone Star Wars movie. Rogue One is coming to digital HD and Disney movies anywhere on March 24th, but if you're a lover of physical media, you'll want to know that the Blu-ray DVD combo pack will be released on April 4th. This will be joining my ever-growing collection of Star Wars films on April 4th. Fargo will return in April. In a move that guarantees its 2017 Emmy eligibility, Fargo's third season will be airing on Wednesday, April 19th at 10:9 Central. The latest chapter of Noah Hawley's acclaimed anthology series stars Ewan McGregor in dual roles. The Leftovers' Carrie Coon, Braindead's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Harry Potter vet David Thewlis as well. The official season three synopsis is, set in 2010, the third season centers on Emmett and his slightly younger brother Ray Stussy, both played by McGregor. Emmett, the parking lot king of Minnesota, sees himself as an American success story, whereas Ray is more of a cautionary tale. Forever living in his more successful brother's shadow, Ray is a balding and pot-bellied parole officer with a huge chip on his shoulder about the hand he's been dealt, and he blames his brother. Their sibling rivalry follows a twisted path that begins with a petty theft but soon leads to murder, mobsters, and cutthroat competitive bridge. Kuhn stars as Gloria Burgle, the steady chief of the local police department. A newly divorced mother, Gloria is trying to understand the new world around her where people connect more intimately with their phones than with the people around them. Winstead stars as Ray's girlfriend, Nikki Swango, a crafty and alluring recent parolee with a passion for competitive bridge. Foolis stars as VM Vargas, a mysterious loner and true capitalist whose bosses plan to partner with Emmett, whether the parking lot king likes it or not. Can't wait for this series to start up again in April. Six renewed at History Channel for Season 2. Ahead of its Season 1 finale on March 8th, History's Navy SEAL drama Six has been renewed for a 10-episode second season. It was announced on Thursday, inspired by the real missions of Navy SEAL Team 6 and starring Walton Goggins as a former team team leader captured by Boko Haram. The series followed the rescue efforts led by his former brothers in arms, played by Barry Sloan, Kyle Schmidt, and Juan Pablo Raba. According to the network, the series premiere was watched by 3 million total viewers, and the series is averaging 2.9 million viewers in a live plus 3 ratings over its first four weeks. Production of the second season is expected to begin this summer. Six airs Wednesdays at 10:9 Central. American Gods finally gets a premiere date at Stars. American Gods Stars is long in the works adaptation of author Neil Gaiman's epic fantasy novel finally has a premiere date, Sunday, April 30th. The series is executive produced by Hannibal mastermind Brian Fuller, who stepped down from the upcoming Star Trek Discovery to focus on American Gods, as well as King's creator Michael Green. American Gods is an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's award-winning 2001 novel of the same name about a brewing war
war between the old gods of increasing irrelevant mythology and the new gods who offer money, technology, and fame to their followers. The first season will consist of eight episodes. American Gods premieres Sunday, April 30th at 9, 8 central on Stars. Now for some late-breaking Oscar news. In a stunning and unprecedented gaffe reminiscent of last year's Steve Harvey announcing the wrong Miss America winner, La La Land was incorrectly named Best Picture by co-presenters Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway at Sunday's 89th Annual Academy Awards instead of the actual winner, Moonlight. The glitch was discovered shortly after Team La La Land had taken the stage to accept the trophy, prompting one of the movie's producers, Jordan Horowitz, to walk to the microphone and declare Moonlight the true victor. Jimmy Kimmel even tried to lighten the mood, jokingly saying, personally, I blame Steve Harvey for this. Apparently, the cards were mixed up and Warren Beatty was handed the Best Actress card that said Emma Stone, La La Land, and so he just announced La La Land. Oh, by the way, Emma Stone won Best Actress, which is awesome. I love her and she's great in the musical, so absolutely worthy of winning this. But the stunner of the night, well, for anyone that hasn't seen Manchester by the Sea, Casey Affleck won for Best Actor. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Casey Affleck won for Best Actor, which has got to eat at Ben a little bit with all the movies he's done trying to win one for Best Actor and his little brother snatches one on his first Oscar-worthy attempt. Anyway, if you've not seen either of these films, do so ASAP. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, with that, we're going to jump right into the reviews this week with Walking Dead. We're going to talk about the Eugene Heavy episode entitled Hostiles and Calamities. An Alexandrian must navigate the mysterious world within the Savior's compound. This week's episode focused on two unlikely characters, Eugene and Dwight, and focused on their surprising move in opposite directions. Throughout this episode, it appeared that Dwight was losing faith in being Negan, and Eugene was embracing it in order to survive. I think one of the reasons that Eugene has struck such a chord with so many Walking Dead's fans is that of all the characters on this show, he seems to be the one that would most likely watch The Walking Dead. And for that many of us love him to no end. In this week's episode, our favorite mullet-wearing Dr. Smarty Pants gets a whole episode all to himself, and he carries it just like I thought he could. But amidst the heart and humor that he always brings to the show, he also runs afoul of some trouble that just might push him into the front ranks in the coming Rick versus Negan war, and the question becomes, which side will he choose to be on? Will he be able to find his courage in the moment he is most needed to help the Alexandrians from within? The truth is, we just don't know. You all know by now that I love the storytelling device of flashbacks, and in a way, this entire episode was a flashback because it picked up immediately after Daryl left the sanctuary, or rather, was let go. We finally learned that it was Sherry who released the archer, not Jesus, before fleeing herself. Dwight, of course, is left to pick up the pieces, shoulder the blame, and receive orders from Negan to fetch his ex-wife. Ironically, in her absence, Sherry plays a bigger role than she ever did in the show before this point, or possibly in Dwight's life. In a note she leaves for him in their old homestead, he learns she freed Daryl because she believed he reminded Dwight of the way he used to be, and she wanted him to forget, presumably for the sake of his sanity. But Dwight can't bring himself to forget completely, and he keeps the wedding ring she left, which leads me to believe that this won't be the end or the last that we see of Sherry, and we'll probably see her again before too long. Along with the note she left, Dwight keeps that as well. And Dwight cleverly uses 
that note as a means of shifting the blame for her departure from himself to Dr. Carson, who winds up in Negan's furnace because Negan figures he has a spare doctor and can get rid of Carson without hurting the saviors, a move that will no doubt come back to bite him in the ass when Eugene can't actually be the doctor he claimed to be. Negan thinks now that he's got the even smarter Eugene to serve as his chief engineer, he didn't need a second doctor, especially one he couldn't trust anymore. And in Eugene's job interview with that thug, we see him use the same tricks with which he convinced Abraham to take him under his wing initially. Here, however, there's an added wrinkle, because this episode toys with us just like Eugene toys with the saviors, making us think he's crying in terror one moment, but then revealing his sly smile at his victory a moment later. Eugene's in the sanctuary only a few days before he figures out how to get to Negan's good side, and he rises quicker in the ranks than he ever did in Alexandria, and I dare say than most anyone has at the sanctuary. He essentially is the exact opposite of Daryl, quickly adapting to his new way of life and willing to proclaim himself Negan before he's even asked to. He even likes the godforsaken Easy Street song. Although Eugene's true litmus test, however, comes when he befriends Negan's wives, or rather, when they befriend him in an attempt to assassinate their loving husband. It's clear that Eugene hasn't enjoyed the company of too many women in his day, and I can't figure out if he treats them to a night of 30-year-old video games because he genuinely wants to impress them, or because he's trying to avoid being tempted by the forbidden fruit. But when they try recruiting him to create a poison for Negan, saying it's for their suicidal friend, he sees through their ruse immediately, even if I did not, thinking they wanted two pills for themselves rather than for Negan. The question now is whether or not Eugene himself is completely trying to play Negan. I'd like to think so, otherwise his evolution over the last several seasons will have been pretty much for naught. I just don't see the new Eugene ever being on the side of the man who killed Abraham, and of course, I want the nerdy guy to win. I just don't know right now if he's playing him or he's just going with the strong guy to survive. I guess we'll find out soon enough once that all-out war arc truly begins. But now I'm going to move on to this week's episode of Star Wars Rebels that features one of my absolute favorite characters from the old Star Wars expanded universe, now referred to as the Legends canon, Grand Admiral Thrawn, in the Star Wars Rebel episode entitled through Imperial Eyes. Fearing that the identity of a rebel spy will soon be discovered by the Empire, the rebels launch a plan to rescue him before he is caught. A few weeks ago, Michael and I reviewed a DC Legends episode on the DC Nation podcast here on the Across the Airwaves network, and we discussed an episode entitled The Legion of Doom. I only mention that here because it spent the majority of the episode telling the story from the perspective of the main villains of the season, the members of the Legion of Doom. Given the title of Star Wars Rebels, it's fitting the animated series largely focuses on the Rebel Alliance side of the fight. But what was great about this week's episode through Imperial Eyes was that it changed the perspective. And of course, since we have an Imperial who is actually a rebel spy, it still fits with the rest of the overall story arc. This episode began by literally looking through Imperial eyes as we saw the world from Agent Callus's perspective. Now, I don't know if the format would have worked for the entire 20 minutes, but it was a creative way to begin the episode. I have not seen the film Hardcore Henry, but that film is shot entirely from a first person's perspective and was heralded for its unique storytelling format. And if there was ever a medium to attempt such a stunt, animation could be the way to go, so I do hope that some series eventually tries an entire episode from a first-person perspective, but as I said, I'm not entirely sure that it would have worked for the entirety of this episode and the story they were trying to tell. 
Callus as Fulcrum is an arc I've been on board with since we first learned about it in the Antilles extraction, and Dan and I commented in our discussion about the episode The Honorable Ones last season, when Callus and Zeb were stranded on the Hoth-like planet together, that we thought he might be changing or something was changing within him. I know that time on the icy moon didn't happen all that long ago, but the experience with Zeb marked an epiphany for Callus. He's done awful things, sure. He was on board with doing those said awful things in the name of the the Empire. But some of us come to realizations later than others, and Callus being faced with Zeb's situation seemed like the last straw and a push of inspiration to switch sides. And it did take a while for us to see Callus's fulcrum, so I think the writers have done enough over the course of this season for me to believe in his transition. Even if I don't necessarily think he's redeemed or completely forgiven for his past tra- transgressions, at least not yet. Essentially, I've been wanting and waiting for quite a few episodes now to get more Callus story and see where his head is at. I knew Thrawn was suspicious of having an Imperial spy in their midst, and it was only a matter of time before he applied his analytical Sherlock Holmes-like mind to the problem. I don't think I'm wrong in saying many fans who are familiar with Thrawn from the Legends side of things, or rather what used to be known as the Expanded Universe, like seeing the intelligent deductive skills of this villain the most. We got true Thrawnness in the episode, and it was amazing, but also made me greedy for more. He set up a trap for Fulcrum, and though Callus tried to work around him, he wasn't successful. While I was impressed with Callus's level of cleverness and tradecraft, I-, I am not surprised. He's an Imperial Security Bureau agent. If he has such a prestigious position, he has to have the smarts to go with it. His job has been to track down those who betray the Empire and c- or conspire against it, so of course he knows how to game the system. And he totally set up Lieutenant List, which was fun to see that overeager pissant youthful officer knock down a few pegs. Unfortunately, I do feel like Callus underestimated Thrawn, especially by altering the map. It's Thrawn after all. How much do you want to bet he has that map memorized and will now know exactly what planet the rebels are calling home base because of what Callus did? Of course, Callus only really got busted because of Ezra. I don't know if Sabine and Ezra will ever realize their role in getting Callus caught, but without Ezra using a Sabine-styled helmet from his collection, Thrawn never would have known, or at least not for certain, that the prisoner was Ezra. Thrawn knows art and is familiar with Sabine's techniques and favored designs and choice of color. Most Imperials would not have paid attention to her graffiti beyond seeing it as a nuisance. Thrawn not only noticed the art but recognized the style and who is responsible. That quality is one of the reasons he's valuable to the Emperor and the Empire in general. He sees what others dismiss. Finally, I have to admire Kaos's decision to stay behind. He thought he was in the clear, but it would have been wholly easier for him to officially defect and go into hiding and become a full-time rebel. He's remaining where he is because he thinks he can do more good, and it's a brave move. Of course, it's going to backfire because Thrawn's onto him and probably will end up with Agent Callus's death, but it was courageous and he thought it was the best play, so you have to respect it. Great episode this week. The more we get of Thrawn, the better in my book. Alright, with that, we're going to move on to Michael and Tim's Supernatural review of this week's episode entitled Family Feud. (laughs) 
Hey everyone, Michael J. Petty here. Welcome back to the Supernatural segment of the Across the Ores podcast, where we're talking Season 12, Episode 13, entitled Family Feud. And with me today is my friend and fellow tra- time-traveling host, Tim Cook. Hey, how's it going? It's not too bad. How are you doing? <laughs> doing pretty well. Ready to talk about all the family drama this week. Oh yeah. So on this week's Supernatural, guys, we saw a lot of family drama. Winchester drama, McLeod drama, Angel and Demon drama, just a lot of drama. But hey, that's the CW for you. To get things started off, I actually quite like this week's episode. One of the major problems I had with Season 9 in Supernatural, specifically the latter half, was the idea of bringing Crowley's son Gavin McLeod back dead. The reason I hated that decision on the writer's part was that it completely negated the Weekend of Bobby's episode that you and I both love so much, Tim. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is because in that episode, of course, Sam and Dean and Bobby actually used Gavin's ghost to learn more about who Crowley was before he became a demon, and thus found his bones to use as leverage to regain Bobby's soul. It's a great episode. Nevertheless, this week's Family Feud not only restored that episode completely in the Supernatural timeline, but also allowed for some really interesting storytelling. Tim, did you have any brief opening thoughts on this week's Supernatural? Yeah, I mean, both of us love the Weekend at Bobby's episode. It is definitely one of my post-season five favorite episodes, for sure. And it's really great to see them making sure that we have continuity with that episode, kind of reclosing the gap there. Um, I think we can both agree that season nine was one of the weaker seasons and stuff like Crowley family drama in season nine was definitely a reason for it. And I'm glad they're going back and kind of patching up some of those issues. Definitely. Now let's start with Gavin and the McLeod family drama. This week. Talk about dysfunctional families. Wow. We thought the Winchesters were bad. So in order to defeat this week's ghost, who turned out to be Gavin's girlfriend from a couple hundred years back, Sam and Dee needed Gavin not only to confirm that she was the killer, but ultimately to sacrifice himself by going back into time to be with her so he could protect her and keep her from dying alone. This was a truly selfless decision on Gavin's part and very different in comparison to his father or even grandmother. That being said, I truly felt bad for Crowley this week. I mean, honestly, I did. We've been talking all season long about how we want Crowley to be evil again, Tim, and part of me is still thinking that this episode may be the straw that breaks that camel's back. Part of me also wonders if Crowley will not only blame Rowena for Gavin's death, but ultimately blame Sam and Dean for sending him back, thus decide to take take away anyone that they love, including their mother. <laughs> Just throwing that out there because part of me does not want to let that theory go. All this being said, the use of Crowley, the use of Rowena, and the family drama that went on with the McClouds this week was great. I was honestly surprised with how much I liked the use of Rowena this week, especially when she revealed that, well, the reason she wanted revenge on Crowley, a plot point from season 10 that I personally had forgotten completely about. Tim, what were your thoughts? Did Crowley's fatherly intentions resonate with you? Did you like the twist ending of why Rowena pushed Gavin to go back into time? Did you enjoy seeing Gavin one final time this week and see him make the right choice? Also, how nice was it to, albeit briefly, see Abaddon again this week? I mean, she was one of my favorite big bads post-Kripke, and even if it was short, it was still kind of cool to see her. Mm -hmm. Let's get the obvious out of the way. Neither of us like Rowena that much. To be fair, I think that one of my least favorite decisions in the entire show so far has been the reduction of Crowley as a demon and more as a person. And we see it at the end of season eight where they, where, you know, they inject human blood into him. And the season eight finale was one of the greatest finales we've gotten on Supernatural and and the Angels Falling was extremely interesting to me. But one of the things that we've run into is that we have a Crowley who's more human. It opens up a storyline for his mother. It opens up a storyline for his kid which are two things I don't necessarily want from a demon. All that being said, this was definitely a very interesting way to show their family drama, and I'm glad that what happened to Gavin happened to Gavin, and I'm hoping that, if anything, this will 
re-solidify, like you said, Crowley is a bad guy. I want him to become evil again, and we see that Rowena had her evil intentions too. We've been getting this lighter Rowena, uh, a woman who, for the past couple seasons, has been betrayed as someone who is strictly out for her own self. And we got a weird omission a couple weeks ago when we were, ta- or yeah, a couple weeks ago when we were, uh, when we last saw her, and she gave up the book pretty easy and helped take down some other witches for for Sam and Dean to help Dean get his mind back. But we we've been seeing a bit of a different Rowena, and it's good to see that she's still kind of out to get it on Crowley, and that she still hasn't forgiven him. Again, every time we see her, I wish she would just be killed off, but it was a good use of their family, of the of the family drama that they'd already established. Again, I'm really not a big fan of them introducing his mother or his son. Um, it made sense in, like, the Weekend at Crowley episode, or Weekend at Bobby's episode, sorry, not Weekend at Crowley's. That'd say, be, that, that, that's weird. That, that'd, be, that'd be one we should see, Weekend at Crowley's. Um, hint, hint, maybe, maybe uh, season 13, guys. But, yeah, I mean, for as much as they have forced the family plot on us, I think this was a good way to start wrapping that up, and I'm hoping that with Crowley's son out of the picture, soon his mother will be too. Absolutely. And even though Gavin was never really a huge part of the show, no. it did give Crowley that grounding as, for lack of a better word, a human being, and I think he his character needed that during season 9 when he was on that demon blood binge, so it made sense that the story would go there, but seeing as how at the end of season 10, you know, he goes all demon on Sam and has kind of gone back and forth between being with the Winchesters and being against the Winchesters as of last season and this season, I think we're, like you said, starting to finally see him become that detached demon character that we remember from his earlier appearances, so that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a good thing. Now, this week also featured the return of Kelly Klein as she is on the run from angels who want to kill her Nephilim child, and like Kyle Reese saving Sarah Connor from the Terminator, Dagon, Princess of Hell, shows up to save the day. We know from last week that Ramiel has two more siblings, one of which is his sister Dagon, who has taken an interest in all of this Lucifer family drama, but I can't help but wonder, what's her angle? Tim, we know that Azazel was the most loyal and fanatic of the Princes of Hell, serving Lucifer faithfully until his death back in Season 2. So, the question I have for you is, is Dagon going to now carry on her brother's legacy? We see that Lucifer learns about Dagon being out there with his unborn son. Could he use her the same way he did Zazel and Lilith to usher in his all-new apocalypse? Well, first I gotta say, come with me if you want to live. Yes. You know, I it's interesting to see where Dagon's going to go. I mean, she was introduced pretty recently when we when we realized that there were multiple princes of hell and that Azazel was only but one of four. Um, and we also learned that he was the most fanatic. So it'll be interesting to see what her motives are with the child of Lucifer. Is she going to become a fanatic? Is she going to try and usher, usher in this new apocalypse? Is she going to maybe try and raise the child as her own and maybe take some power away? from Lucifer. Maybe she's trying to make a bid for hell, or maybe she's trying to overthrow Lucifer. We're not exactly sure. We've seen Crowley, we saw Crowley attempt to use Amara for his own nefarious means, kind of during her run on the show, which didn't really work out. And so the question is, is is Dagon going to be a victim to Lucifer's child, or is Lucifer's child going to be protected by Dagon? It'll be interesting to see what kind of relationship we wind up getting between the two of them, and how loyal she is to Lucifer. I mean, it's 
a modern year now. And Azazel did all of his stuff years ago in the supernatural universe. And the apocalypse, apparent. I mean, the the apocalypse we know of seasons five of seasons four and five. Those two things. The, 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 that apocalypse, it, it kind of begs the question why she's coming out of the, of hiding now. I mean, all three princes of hell stayed hidden during the actual apocalypse, during Azazel running around and trying to create his demonic army. And we know he's the most fanatical, but it still begs the question why the three of them were in the background. And now one of them is actively getting involved with Lucifer's child. So it'll be really interesting to see what they decide to do with Dagon. Yeah, I almost wonder if Dagon wants to mold and groom this child into her own super soldier type character, which could be a very Mm -hmm. interesting concept. Kind of like Crowley tried to do with her Amara back last season. That would be a very interesting interesting development. I don't know. A large part of me hopes that Dagon Dagon is working with Lucifer or is willing to work with Lucifer, similarly to how Azazel was. But again, if Azazel was the most fanatic, if he was the most loyal in some respects, then it's also very possible that Dagon will offer her services either to the highest bidder or be an independent a contractor of her own so mm-hmm. we'll i mean we'll see time will tell at this point mm-hmm. well i mean i think one of the the key things to bring up is l- right at the end of this episode lucifer says the name dagon right he's he's trying to reach her so i think it's safe to say that dagon is trying to find lucifer's child probably for her own evil and nefarious purposes but we see that lucifer is actively trying to reach out with her uh, reach out to her so it makes sense if she winds up because coming part of the fold and following Lucifer's plan. And also on that note, um, just a really quick thing before we move on to our next topic, it was nice that they threw in a Rosemary's baby reference because that's what we've kind of been calling her all ever since we found out she was pregnant with a child of Lucifer. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was pretty great. I did like that as well. Now, one of the other big things that happened this week was Crowley revealing that he had tainted Rowena's sensei into the cage spell and instead sent him back to hell in general, not actually the cage placing him in the restored body of his old vessel, Nick, back from Season 5, who we last saw in Swan Song, portrayed once again by Mark Pellegrino. Now, I have to say, since we've seen God restore Castiel's vessel, Castiel's vessel's body, Jimmy Novak, to full capacity, it makes sense that the same could be done to Nick's, especially since, unlike Vincent Vincente from earlier this season, it hadn't actually withered away to absolutely nothing. I, for one, am happy to see Mark Pellegrino as back as the devil and seemingly back to stay. While with Rick Springfield played a very interesting Lucifer, and the Archbishop, the President, and even Manisha Collins all did a good job in the past. No one plays the character or has the charisma quite like Mark Pellegrino does. Even when Jared Padalecki played him twice in Season 5, he was really good and really close, but he wasn't quite it. Tim, now that Lucifer has a real body again, one that we recognize well, what do you think he's going to do? Sure, he's trapped by Crowley for now, but when he inevitably breaks free, what do you think his plans and goals are for both his Princes of Hell and his unborn son? Do you think that he is going to reach out to Dagon and work with her? Or is he going to try and murder this Prince of Hell in order to get his child back? Well, let's bring something up here for just one second. So, Lucifer's vessel is no longer in the cage. Sam is no longer in the cage. There is only one person still left in that cage, (laughs) and that is poor Adam. (laughs) Well, Michael's in there too, but yes. Michael's in there too, but Adam is stuck in the cage. (laughs) To be fair, Lucifer's vessel, Nick, was never actually in the cage. He was in Detroit when we last saw him, but... That is true. That is true. But yeah, poor Adam. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, we've seen Lucifer be sprung. We've seen Sam be sprung. I mean, you got to feel a little bad for poor Adam, well, who's now do, just trapped you, in there with Michael. You do realize <laughs> if Adam and Michael ever get out of that cage, they're going to be the big bads of whatever season they come out in because they're going to be pissed. Exactly. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that Crowley, I mean, I think we can both agree the reason they didn't put Lucifer back in the cage cage is because they still have plans for him. And clearly Crowley and his demons who are crawling all over the cage trying to make it perfect so that Lucifer couldn't escape his chains isn't going to work. I think we can say we know Supernatural well enough to imagine that Lucifer will be back in the plot at some point. We have, you're right, we have Mark Pellegrino back, and I'm pretty sure there's a good reason for that. It's because that is the initial Lucifer, the original guy who played him. He really brought some of his own to that character, and he was he's definitely by far the best Lucifer we have seen. So I'm glad we have Mark Pellegrino back, but I think the question we have to ask now is, why do we have Mark Pellegrino back? And I think it's because Lucifer has a big role to play. I mean, his son's out there. Yeah. Now, we also found out in this episode that he's having a, a son, um, not a daughter. Dagon knew that. So uh, I guess uh, Michael's fears of having another creepy little girl in the show are put to rest, but we might still have a creepy little boy. Well, you know, at least it's not a girl that's... Ooh, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm okay with we that. We don't have another Lilith. The boy, is, <laughs> the boy is still that good, but it's better than a creepy little girl who... Oh, no, no, can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's safe to say that uh, Lucifer's son will probably have a role in breaking his dad out of Crowley's cage. That's possible. Um, so I think we can see... I think we can see a demonic power team right now with, you know, Lucifer, his son, and Dagon, and the three of them are maybe the the big bad of of evil trinities from here on out for the show i mean we still have crowley who who will hopefully become a big bad too but they seem to be kind of building this trinity of evil well it also depends too on how quickly they decide to age this child because we know from yeah. season eight when castiel and metatron seemingly killed the last nephilim uh that that thing had lived a full life you know it, it, mm-hmm. it grew up normally it didn't necessarily rapidly age now with this child being a child of an archangel, it's definitely possible that that's a storytelling device they'll use. In fact, most shows, whenever they introduce children that are science fiction or fantasy based, generally try and um, accelerate the aging process of that child. I know Falling Skies did that in its fourth season, and it worked very well. I could definitely see that happening here. So if that's the case, then yes, I could definitely see this child helping break Lucifer out. If not, I I don't know how else he could get out, um, Mm -hmm. other than him breaking himself out and fighting a, a flaw within his chains, which is definitely possible if that's the case though i doubt crowley would survive so mm-hmm. well and and let's also bring up that so far we have met three out of the four princes of hell two of them are dead now with azazel being um gone quite a while ago but we have recently met the other two but there's still one that we haven't met that's out there so perhaps dagon finds the fourth prince of hell and and the two of them rampage together as well so there is definitely a possibility for even a even a third entry uh, or the fourth entry from the princes of hell to appear as well so uh, maybe the two of them together are how Lucifer get out, or maybe, you know, Lucifer turns on Dagon for his son. We don't know. We just 
just know that um, his son is probably going to be some form of a big bad. We know that he is maybe the biggest bad besides power-wise besides Amara. And we also know that um, Dagon is pretty powerful, too. I would love to see Mark Pellegrino go up against Dick Roman. That would be funny. <laughs> I would I would really win that. <laughs> Technically, Dick Roman's still in purgatory, so he could always come back. But, you know, that being said, we'll yeah. move on. <laughs> Lastly, at the end of the episode, Mary tells her boys that she has been working with the British Men of Letters. Now, Tim, I think our discussion next week will end up being pretty much all about this if the trailers for next week's episode are any mm-hmm. indication. But I will say that I was happy she decided to come clean and share that with her family as opposed to keeping it secret for the rest of the season. Again, we'll yeah. see more on that next week. But Tim, what are your initial thoughts on this? Are you glad she decided to finally come clean instead of hiding it? Well, I think we've seen the big... Winchester mistake is keeping things from the other one. You know, we we see that as early as Dean in season two. Well, sorry, Dean in season three when he hides the fact that he made a deal with a Crossroads demon to save Sam. And then we see that again when Sam has been drinking demon blood and he starts having all these powers and he doesn't mention it to Dean right away. He doesn't tell him about how he's working with Ruby. And again, we see it when Sam doesn't have a soul. And again, we see it. And I mean, this is just a, a repetitive pattern that the brother continually fall into in which they aren't fully honest with each other and I'm glad that Mama Winchester didn't fall into the exact same trap and that she was honest with them before we see some real ramifications of that in terms of the narrative I think it's a really good thing she told them next week looks like a really great episode we're gonna get the return of one of our one uh, one of the more interesting characters and uh, we'll see I think next week will be a kind of a montage episode and we'll see a lot of vampires uh, next week and we even see the alpha so that'll be exciting i'm glad that we have a return to vampires in the series and we'll have to see how things go down with the men of letters i can't imagine it'll go down as harmoniously as the men of letters and mary winchester would like it to no it usually doesn't and yeah i am definitely also excited for next week i'm especially excited to see that alpha as you mentioned because mm-hmm. he promised me in season seven he was coming back next season he didn't so we gotta find out why anyway that being said guys i think that wraps up our discussion on Supernatural for this week, but be back with us next week when we discuss, again, a vampire-themed episode of Supernatural entitled The Raid. But until then, take it away, Nico. Thanks, guys, for another great Supernatural review. I look forward to hearing your guys' review next week as well. I'm going to move on now to the Netflix, Amazon, and other non-traditional TV network streaming section. We're going to talk this week about the Epics channel show called Berlin Station, and it's 10 episodes season one. The Epic's original series, Berlin Station, a contemporary spy series consisting of 10 one-hour episodes, follows Daniel Miller, who has just arrived at the CIA station in Berlin, Germany. Miller has a clandestine mission to determine the identity of a now-famous whistleblower masquerading as Thomas Shaw. Guided by jaded veteran Hector Dijin, Daniel learns to contend with the rough-and-tumble world of a field officer, agent-running, deception, danger, and moral compromises. As he dives deeper into the German capital's Hall of Mirrors and uncovers the threads of a 
a conspiracy that leads back to Washington, Daniel wonders, can anyone ever be the same after a posting to Berlin? The fact that a drama about espionage is premiering on epics is more likely to prompt the question, what is epics, than it is to inspire immediate excitement. But bear with me, because it will be worth it. The little-known premium cable channel is trying to become less obscure by using an old strategy. It's cooking up original series in hopes that it will create the kind of buzz that will prompt viewers to seek out the network. The good news is, even in a marketplace flooded with content, that strategy may work given the extraordinary caliber of the cast in this in its first drama, Berlin Station. Now, the show doesn't reinvent the spy drama for the modern era, nor does it rise to the level of the most captivating secret agent thrillers of recent years, mainly the, the Americans, which flashes back to the fraught Cold War of the 80s. But Berlin Station, a contemporary serial set among CIA and German operatives in that European city, is a credible option for those who enjoy Homeland and appreciate its character-driven moments enough to patiently ride out the inconsistency of that Showtime drama's most recent seasons. Speaking of obscurity at times, Berlin Station recalls the little-known but fondly remembered AMC drama Rubicon, which depicted the pressure cooker environment that spies, intelligence bureaucrats, and analysts contend with on a daily basis, and the self-destructive tendencies and elaborate coping strategies they often develop as a result. Berlin Station is not quite as cerebral as the Americans or Rubicon, and it occasionally cuts corners in its rush to create narrative momentum, but the epic series has an outstanding cast that takes its reasonably solid storytelling and raises it a few notches through sheer talent and charisma. The pilot for Berlin Station has a staggering energy and is overly packed with convoluted setup. At one point, several characters become agitated over the fate of a man named Gerald, which is not ideal because among the massive amount of rapidly introduced characters, Gerald really never made much of an impression. But once the show gets going and gets beyond that bumpy first installment, it generally settles into a very pleasing groove, one that often allows the stellar cast to do its really captivating work. As I said, the first episode or two are a bit shaky, but don't worry. By episode four, it's sailing along and gets more and more and more exciting. Each new episode brings new surprises to a really complex plot, and the direction is assured and satisfying. Even the final episode brings new twists in the plot and new depths to supporting characters. Risa Fons is incredible, providing a powerful and nuanced performance. Michelle Forbes is terrific in a supporting role, and Richard Jenkins shows that what a fine actor he can be with a good script and good direction. Other supporting roles are spot on as well. The entire series is wonderful, so don't worry about the first episode or two. Just relax and let this top-notch spy series take you on the roller coaster it is. Overall, Berlin Station is a superb spy series, one of the better on TV in a long time, although I will admit not quite on the same level as the Americans. But this is really the first good series from modern Berlin and worth your time and effort if you enjoy the spy genre. All right, with that, I'm going to move into the closing and talk about next week and say that on next week's episode, we'll continue with the spring 2017 TV season with a review of Walking Dead, Star Wars Rebels, an episode of Supernatural from Michael and Tim, and another streaming recommendation along with more entertainment news with the News with Nico section. Also, the DC Nation continues with episodes of Supergirl, Flash, and Arrow, but no DC Legends of Tomorrow which is off for the week, or Gotham, which is still on a three-month hiatus, so make sure to join us for that if you're a fan of the DC television. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for Steve, Wu, Nikki, and the rest of the Marvelverse crew doing the Marvelverse podcast and their coverage of the Marvel Cinematic and Television universes. But for now and most of the season, let's roll Dan's pre-recorded closing.
Canada Across the Airways podcast, Network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows, available as their own individual programs. Get the iTunes Store, get Google Play Store. Guys, for the podcast shows, Cutter Network, we have the DC Nation podcast, located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews popular DC Comics-related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast, located at Marvelverse podcast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com which reviews Marvel comics related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheirways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to super heroes, core game of thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, got the mixed radio station, code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace, and the Windows Marketplace, and a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. And for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across their waves. There's no thought in there, it's just across their waves. Join our circle, got Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Again, that's 773-809-3363. Also, with sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God, the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Okay, so once again, for our other ATA podcast hosts, Nikki, Amy, Wukim, Joshua Mercury, James Hayfield, Steve Nostro and Michael J. Petty. I'm Nico Reistek, and until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. See you guys, and thanks for joining us on another episode of ATA covering Walking Dead, Star Wars, Rebels, Supernatural, and the new streaming section. See ya! Journeys in America will take at the wheel Anyone they don't even just pretend Jonas in America I'm afraid of Americans I'm afraid of the world I'm afraid I can't help it I'm afraid I can't I'm afraid of Americans I'm afraid of the world I'm afraid I can't help it I'm afraid I can't I'm afraid of Americans Jeffster lives, man! We now return to our regularly scheduled program.